Folks, uh, our guest today is none other than uh, a standout from NFL Network. Delighted to have Tom Palacero on the show this week. Tom, thanks a million for joining us, man. Absolutely. Happy to be here. What's going on? Not much. Like, this is the thing, right? It's funny because this is the one NFL offseason where there's so much going on. So I can only imagine you think, you know, get to the Super Bowl and then get to lie down and then, oh, man, there's so much news this year. It's crazy. But the first question that we ask everybody, Tom, on the show is, have you any Irish connections? I mean, Palacero isn't the most Irish surname, but any connections at all? Yeah, absolutely. My uh, On my father's side of the family, uh, my grandma's family was all Irish. So they were O'Leary's and McManmans. So we've got strong Irish blood. It's like 25%, but absolutely, that I've got some in me. So uh, you might have a relation there in uh, in Brian. Uh, if you come to, to Dublin, Tom, uh, you can see if uh, Brian is a, is a distant cousin. Um, I suppose, look, the, the, the elephant in, in the room, I mean, we're talking about the offseason, the, the biggest story for the NFL offseason, potentially the, the biggest trade in, in league history is the Deshaun Watson. Um, you were tweeting yesterday that uh, he had spoken to the new head coach uh, virtually. Um, the, the Texans aren't budging. Watson doesn't seem to be budging from his desire for a trade. Uh, where do we go from here? That's really up to the Houston Texans. You know, the leverage that Deshaun Watson has is really twofold. One is simply not showing up, you know, carry this holdout. If it becomes a holdout into uh, the OTAs and then, of course, the mandatory mini camps into training camps. Uh, and the second part of it is make life a living hell for the Texans publicly, whether it's through various leaks or cryptic things you're tweeting or if eventually he actually explains on the record to someone, which he hasn't done so far, why he's unhappy, why he wants out from the Houston Texans about six, seven months after uh, they gave him a massive contract extension. The Texans, though, hold the ultimate cards, which is if Deshaun doesn't show up, they can fine him. They can uh, void his guarantees. They eventually, if he you know retires, if he says, I'm not showing up, they can go after over $21 million in signing bonus money. So, uh, you know, there is leverage on both sides here, but the Texans really get to make this decision. And if they are willing to take all the public criticism, which to this point they have, they can carry this as far as they want. Now, I can also tell you, the Texans continue to get a lot of phone calls. They've been getting calls and texts really since uh, the end of the regular season when it became increasingly apparent that Deshaun Watson uh, wanted a fresh start someplace else. Uh, there are some people who have actually talked to the Texans. And in those cases, Texans have been adamant we're not trading the guy. And then there have been other teams that can't get him on the phone. And so I've been told that multiple teams have actually left voicemails for the Texans saying, here's our offer. You won't talk to us about it, but we want to be on the record. Here's the offer. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a unique situation. There's no question about it. I would anticipate if the Texans become willing to trade to Sean Watson, you're talking about several first round draft picks and more that they would have on the table for him. But again, you're talking about a, a, you know, a bit of a dangerous precedent, for lack of a better term, when you're saying you paid a guy six months ago on a long-term deal and you're already letting him dictate that he wants to go someplace else. Tom, this, this offseason is like one like no order. Now, we kind of say that every, every season, but this one really is. Potentially 16 teams changing quarterback things go the way people have discussed. We've already had big trades, Goff, Wentz, um, Matthew Stafford, obviously, of course, part of that. You probably get no time to reflect on your own career with NFL Network, but is there any one particular story, development story, or a breaking news over the years that you kind of think that was the, the marquee one, shall we say? 
I don't know if it's a single one. I mean, there's a lot of memorable, uh, you know, trades or big stories, um, you know, that we, we've had through the years. I, the ones that I always remember are the ones that either are really memorable to, you know, fans and other people, the things that people bring up to me, which are usually just funny stories, bizarre stories, uh, things that I've stumbled across. And also the ones that are just like under ridiculous circumstances where, you know, we get word on something at like the least opportune time possible. Like I remember one was uh, Des Bryant when he signed with the Saints, you remember a couple of, of years ago. And in his very first practice, uh, he tears his Achilles. So we go through this entire thing. It had been this long running thing with Des. He's a big name that's, you know, leading every one of our shows. It's a big story, even though, you know, he's not at the height of his powers anymore, but it's a name, right? And he hadn't played since he was with the Cowboys. So we go through the entire day reporting on Des's first practice. You know, I report that he's not going to play this week, but the goal is to have him play the following week. I think I'm done. We've done TV all morning, all afternoon. I go up just to like take a shower, rinse all the makeup off me. So without getting graphic, I am very much unclothed two floors up in my house, about to get in the shower, and I get a text saying something along the lines of, Des went down in practice today, looks like Achilles. So I'm sprinting downstairs, calling Ian Rappaport, being like, we need to get back on TV and get going on this. Within like five minutes, the whole thing had come together, threw the clothes back on, went on live TV again. But it was just like the worst possible time. And that seems to be when these things happen. You know, sometimes it, sometimes it bites you too. I mean, you know, there was, you know, when the Carson Wentz trade gets, you know, goes down, I hadn't taken time off in a year. I'm going away with my wife for a long weekend. We're literally sitting on the tarmac delayed when the Wentz trade gets completed. So I had been off the grid that morning. It's like, you got to be kidding me. But those things happen. You know, it's it's 24-7. And it's not even like deal, you know, big trades. Remember, they didn't used to be huge trades in the NFL, not nearly to the volume that we're seeing now, and certainly not in season, which we've seen uh, increasingly here. You know, that's one of the, the beautiful things about the NFL and why it's a multi-billion dollar business is that they've managed to capture every part of the calendar. And in the old days, like one of the dead periods was post-Super Bowl up to the start of free agency or up to the combine. Well, now we filled that too, because there's so many quarterbacks on the move. At the end, at the end of the season, Michael asked us, could we do live shows if there's any breaking uh, trades? The match of Stafford one happens at 4 a.m. Irish time. No, we weren't doing a live show. It wasn't great for me either. It was, you know, 11 p.m. or midnight my time, and we did like an hour and a half of live TV. Another another great moment there was, uh, you know, we're still, because we're still in the post-COVID world, so some of our hosts are on Skype. You've got, you know, things are being produced out of, in some cases, people's garages, right? We're just finding ways to do it. So we go on live TV, and it, I, I can't remember exactly what time it was, but it was late, um, you know, even here. And so we're doing like this long block. It was just like throw, throw clothes on, get on TV, start breaking it down. And Kyle Montgomery is hosting the show from his uh, living room. I finished like this long answer and there's just silence. No one's talking to me. I'm looking on the screen. I'm like, I literally say a lot. I'm like, well, I think we lost Kyle. I'm still here. So I'm going to filibuster. So I just kept talking until somebody got in my ear to jump in, you know, it's, you find ways to do it. Le'Veon Bell, when he signed his free agent deal a couple of years ago, that happened at like one o'clock in the morning. It is still to this day, sorry, there's a lot of nudity in this podcast, but it's the only time I've ever had just the shirt and coat with no pants because I was in bed. I, I was like, all right, he's not going to do it tonight. I'm in bed. And all of a sudden, Bell signs. Okay, get back up. And we were live for like an hour and a half. That's, it's fun. Listen, those are the fun moments when things happen. Just would be ideal if it's not happening at one in the morning. 
Tom, we're, we're never going to see you breaking a story and not thinking that some nudity was involved uh, again. That, I, I, like I told the two stories that I have involving me not being <laughs> fully clothed. That's it. I swear there's no others. I'm telling you, the only time ever. I try to wear, everybody always asks me, are you wearing like, you know, shorts or what on the bottom? I try when I'm on TV to wear jeans and sneakers, right? Because I feel like if I'm in sweatpants, if I'm in shorts, if I'm barefoot, I don't, I don't feel like I'm all together. I don't wear the full suit, but usually jeans, shoes, socks on the bottom. But you now have the the two examples where that's not the case. Fair enough. I also love your Houston story because that kind of almost reminds me of my dating life in college. You know, I can't get through, but I'll just leave a voicemail and leave my offer out there and see if they get back to me. Um, that being said, Tom. You're leaving I'm, voicemails. You're already in trouble. Yeah, I know. I know. A friend zone, friend zone. Um, I saw your tweet recently, actually, what DeMar, DeMar Smith had come out with, uh, in recently imploring agents for free agents at the same position to collude and increase leverage in contract talks. And he's saying, look, that's because the salary cups have come down. You've, you've, you, know, you need to do this. I'm fascinated by your take on this because if you think about it, really, it feels like the relations between the league and the union, while not as bad as they were in most recent history, they're still pretty bad. I mean, they're up there with the 82 strike season, the, the era of free agency beginning with Reggie White back in the early 90s, etc. I mean, this is, you know, they don't really get on very well. And given DeMora Smith has thrown around a lot of accusations against the league about collusion between owners, about antitrust litigation, etc. Is he potentially going to inflame owner sentiment, maybe even create an antitrust issue for the, the union itself and force the, the owners into a, a retrenched position at maybe the wrong time. Well, they have pressed collusion lawsuits in the past. I've covered some of those in uh, federal court. In this particular case, we actually over the past year have seen probably the most collaborative work that has been done between Demora Smith and Roger Goodell since uh, Smith took over as the uh, executive director of the Players Association in terms of the way they work together on COVID. It was contentious last summer when the owners are proposing things or the league is proposing things like we're going to cut everybody's salaries by 35%, hold that money in escrow. And if we have a revenue shortfall, which everyone knew they were going to, to the tune of $3 billion, then you're never getting that money back. The union, of course, brushed that off. It didn't take place. But you know they were able to find answers. The, the season didn't stop. Camp didn't stop. Started a little later than the league would have liked. But they found ways. Every game was played. Uh, but now you're into another unique situation. Remember, this is a negotiated lower salary cap. This was part of the pre-COVID planning because had the union and the league not agreed to a deal, then under the CBA, the way the, way the, the salary cap is set each year is it's a projection of the following year's revenues, right? So every year they meet in late February, early March, and really the conversations this year started in January, but they finalize it usually around combine time, so late February, and that is based on projecting the following year's revenues. Well, what happened two weeks after they set up 198.2 million per club cap last year, the world stopped, COVID hit. And at that point, they were projecting a multi-billion dollar revenue shortfall, all of which is a long way of saying, had they not agreed to a side letter to the CBA that was signed last March, they agreed to it in, I think it was the first week of August this year, that set a 175 minimum that since has been bumped up to a 180 minimum for the cap in 2021, the cap would have plummeted by 30 to $40 million per club. And you would have had an even bigger bloodbath than we're going to have in terms of cuts, in terms of people being told to restructure, in terms of that second wave of free agents. The first wave is still going to get paid, but that second wave of free agents in a lot of cases is going to get squeezed and you're probably going to see uh, a ton of one-year deals. So the point that Smith was making when he talks about 
colluding, which of course for labor is fine. You can't do that on the management side, but on the labor side, you absolutely can collude if you can find a way to do it. The point Smith is making is don't allow the clubs to tell you, hey, we're tight on the cap. And all of a sudden the top free agent at a certain position takes a sub-market deal that they don't take, they don't try to surpass like they normally would. That's really the audience he's speaking to. I've talked to some agents who were on that call who called me after I tweeted that and said, this is never going to work. You're not going to get agents to actually work together because if I've got the number two free agent or we got two guys that are pretty close, why am I going to share the information? I'm not trying to get the other guy paid. I'm trying to get my guy paid. So it's a delicate balance. The broader message just seems to be don't let clubs strong arm you into taking bad deals. And even last year, we saw that in certain markets at certain positions, the wide receiver market was one of them where there were a couple guys who took pretty early in free agency, like in the first week, took like minimum deals. And then all of a sudden what happens? Every other team offered minimum deals. Agents look at that. The union looks at that and say, the teams must be colluding, but it also just speaks to the fact that that becomes precedent within the market. And Smith doesn't want to see guys jumping out, panicking, taking bad deals. They're just saying communicate, not just with other agents, but communicate with the union because the union knows about the future cap projections. They know what the clubs have in terms of their future budgeting. Uh, And there's different ways. You're going to have to see people get creative this year in a lot of ways. And you might not see the front loaded deals in terms of first year payments. You could see big signing bonuses on multi-year deals to spread it out. Or you could see even deals that are more loaded in year two, similar to what the Raiders did a couple of years ago as they got ready to move to Vegas. Yeah, I was going to say, Tom, it's more market dynamics, isn't it? That drives, you know, the free agency with the women receivers last year. But it's a good thing for the Saints. They did do that side letter. Otherwise, their amount over the cap would be well in excess of 100 million. So at least it's only 99.2 million, I think, for the Saints. So the that thing I a- always tell, the, the thing I always say, and you're absolutely right, the Saints are in the, the worst position, but they've been in the worst position for 10 years. They every year end up like this. The difference this year is they're accounting for that massive Drew Brees cap hit that they've kind of been pushing off in recent years. The thing I always say, though, is whenever the, you know, the number comes out and, hey, the cap could be a little bit higher. All 32 teams have their fans tweeting at me being like, oh, this is huge for Team X. Remember, if your team has more money, so does everybody else. It's more money in the marketplace. It is even across the 32 teams. Absolutely, though, the teams that are in the red right now as they budget for 2021, uh, it's certainly every, every dollar that they gain on the cap is valuable. Tom, we, uh, it's been great, great insights so far. We're going to be very spoiled and try to do one more quick round question each. Look, if if anything happens with your phone or to Sean Watson or if a mouse appears, feel free to run and tell us goodbye. Etc. I'm not Rappaport. <laughs> I'm not going to bail on you. Man, um, like just, just like you're talking about the season there and like obviously building up to last season there now. The NFL pulled off something that not a lot of people I think over here thought would happen. They got the season done and it worked out. You know, you, you were in Tampa Bay covering the Super Bowl. What, what was that like? It, was a, it must have been a very different experience to what you, to what you were used to. It definitely was. It was unique in a lot of regards. I mean, professionally, normally through the course of the week, everything's driven by all these availabilities, uh, you know, Monday through Thursday, starting with media night. And then every day there's these massive 45 minute to an hour availabilities where you're busing from one place to another and you're, then you're going to the next one. On top of that, you have, you know, all these people in town that you're trying to meet up with. There are, you know, parties and various social functions where, you know, people are going to be there. So you're trying to get to 10 places. You know, I, I was thinking as, as that week wore on and I basically sat in my hotel room the whole time. I was thinking like, man, why am I not like more stressed out this week? I'm like, oh yeah, because I've got nowhere to be. 
I'm just, I'm, I, I can't go anywhere. We're not allowed to go out to eat indoors. We're not allowed to dine with anybody. We had all these restrictions. You know, there were people by the weekend um, that were out, you know, it's the state of Florida. It's much more wide open than a lot of other uh, parts of the country are. But yeah, you, I know I went long stretches of time without really seeing a lot of people. You know, come game day though, it, it felt real. And that's the one thing that's been, I think really interesting about this process too, is, you know, you go back through really the entire season. And a lot of the games I covered were in Green Bay where there were no fans. I covered a bunch of games in Minnesota where there were no fans. You know, I went to places like Nashville where they did have fans. A lot of times you're in an empty stadium. And one thing that somebody said to me uh, early on that stuck with me because I was like, I was down about the fact that, man, normally pregame, we're on the field. I'm talking to coaches. I'm talking to players. You know, guys are coming over saying hello. Like, that's fun. That's what's, that's what's enjoyable about the experience. And the person said to me, like, yeah, you feel abnormal. But when people see you on TV at the stadium, they feel more normal. And I took that to heart. In other words, you know, people watching on TV for one minute aren't thinking about everything being stopped. They're just thinking about there's a game today. Tom's there. He's in the stadium. This is this is football. You know, that, that's important. I think that that was really important, um, you know, for the NFL to to get through and just kind of add some level of normalcy, even though, of course, as we all know, there were a bunch of things early in the season where you had some issues uh, that popped up and they had to move things around. But they played uh, all 269 games. Yeah, I know it made a, a big difference, certainly every Sunday to know that there was uh, going to be football to, to watch and we had that to look forward to no matter what was going on during the week. Tom, I'm, I'm thinking back, you did a, an interview um, with Clays Campbell uh, in 2018 and he correctly mentions the score of the, the Jag Steelers game, 45-42. Um, any, any other standout interview uh, moments uh, throughout your career? Obviously, Joe Thomas turning you into a Browns fan, uh, but anything that stands out for you? Well, the Calais one was so strange, the entirety of it, because just when the Jaguars were making their run through the playoffs, and I was covering them um, during that playoff run, so they beat the Bills at home uh, in the first playoff game, then they had to go to Pittsburgh. So I believe it was the Monday after the Sunday game went over the bills and I'm just going around. We're just trying to get sound. There's players in the locker room. So I'm just going up talking to various people. And I go to Calais and just asked him, you know, just something completely just about like, I think it was the style of the game, right. You know, the way they had played, it was a really ugly win. I think Blake Bortles only threw for, I think he threw for under hundred yards and went over the bills, but he ran for like 50. And so Calais said something like, no, oh, I can't, I can't do a Calais play. I was like, well, oh, okay, if we win. 9-6 or 45-42. So I totally forgot about it. I don't even know if that ever aired, but we had it. So they beat the Steelers. I'm walking around the locker room in Pittsburgh. Clay's with man, you gotta, you gotta find that tape. I'm like, what are you talking about? Players never remember things they tell you. This doesn't happen. Like guys, you could talk to them a week later. They'd never seen your face before. Man, you go find the tape. So I go back. I'm like, hey, can somebody like go into our, our tape and, and look this up? And sure enough, they found it. And it's him saying 45 to 42. I'm like, that is the weirdest thing of all, like of all scores, how you pluck that out of thin air. And that's the score by which they beat the Steelers. That, that definitely is, uh, is up there for the most memorable. That's, that's another thing though that I missed about this past season was you couldn't interview people on the field. We weren't allowed on the field. You could, some teams allowed you to do socially distanced interviews where, Basically, you're standing in the stands and you're screaming through a mask at a player who's 50 yards away from you, which led to some great moments. Uh, but, you know, being on the field, Alshon Jeffrey, talking to him after the uh, the double doink game in uh, 
in Chicago, you know, things like that. Those post-game interviews, just because you have no idea what's going to happen. Some guys are way too geeked up to even like really function and give you real answers. But then there's some guys who, you know, whether it's Calais, and I talked to him again after uh, the Ravens won that playoff game this year, or Alshon in that moment. Those, those are the ones I think that are that are really memorable to me. Tom, you, you touched on, I suppose, people watching you from their homes throughout the season at the stadiums. That's just not just in the States anymore. It's it's around the world. The game has become so important to people throughout the world. I suppose when you are doing your shows and you're, you're doing the NFL Network, are you aware how important the game has become around the world? And obviously with the four games in particular in the UK every year, didn't go ahead last year because of COVID. Roger Goodell has committed to it again on the basis that things started to plan out in terms of the vaccine. I suppose, have you been over to any of the games in the UK? And I suppose, what's your thoughts generally on how the, the game has reached such a, a wide global market now? Yeah, I was at the game uh, the Vikings and Steelers played in 2013. There, Vikings beat the Steelers. Steelers fell to 0-4 before they actually rallied and uh, kind of turned around their season. And I, I was struck by just, you know, the, the volume of fans. I know some of them are, you know, expatriates and whatnot and so they're wearing their home team jerseys and whatnot but you definitely at least around the stadium the vikings who i was with were spent were like an hour away uh from the city staying out at uh, whatever that um complex is out there uh but yeah on game day i mean you certainly got that environment i mean it was fun you know it's not the old days where you know i remember like the stories that everybody would tell was in the early days like there was like a small cheer for the touchdown and then a big cheer for the extra point now you get at least like a feel like you're at, in a an American venue. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I get it. Um, you know, it's awesome to, to talk to you guys and, um, you know, see people, you know, tweet, you know, in various languages at me, I'll break some news and then somebody I'll get like the German translation and, you know, whatever else, like, that's cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, you know, the international series can get back on. Of course, they had expanded to, um, uh, to Mexico in recent years as well and begun playing there. There's been designs on playing a game in Canada playing a game in China, uh, among other places, you know, all those things I think are, are great outreach as the NFL, you know, despite this significant bump in the road here with COVID, they've been, you know, still in the process of, of getting over, um, you know, they certainly have big designs on continuing to take the game international, especially when they've seen how the likes of the NBA have been able to do that with a lot of success uh, over the past decade. Yeah. Um, Croke Park, Dublin. Give Roger the nudge. Just let him know. That's that's where we'll bring the next international. I would I would love to cover a game in Dublin. If that happens, we're we're going out for whatever the beer is that's not Guinness that's much better. Because I'm sure I'm not going to do the cliched thing. Whatever that beer is, we're going out and get some. <laughs> that that that's no problem at all. We'll take you on the tour. We'll take you on the tour. But look, Tommy, you've been ever so grateful, and um, sorry, we're ever so grateful for you, and you're ever so generous for your time. We love watching you on the NFL uh, network all the time, and you know, the stories you break and the insights you bring from the locker rooms, from the players, from your experience in the league. But finally, I've got to ask you one last question. I've got to try and put you on the spot to be Calais Campbell. We are coming up to free agency in the draft. It is the time of pontification and predictions. So I'm going to ask you for something that no one else is predicting, the unexpected prediction. You can say for a team, for a player, whatever you like, but something that no one else is predicting right now that you think, hey, I just, I just have this inkling, something like this is going to pan out. I try to stay out of the prediction business because I'm so bad at it you know, back when I used to make picks at USA Today or even playing fantasy football, I'm so bad at all the stuff that's like you would think that naturally I'd be good at. But I try to stay, I, I try to stay as far back, uh, you know, as I can from it. I, I think that, you know, expect the unexpected. I would just say that in terms of, you know, the continued quarterback movement, 
the teams that are going to be making pushes, not just for Deshaun Watson, but for Russell Wilson. Uh, I think there's going to be a ton of action on both fronts leading up to free agency, um, which, you know, the negotiating window starts March 15th, as well as up till the draft, uh, which starts on April 29th. I think that uh, you're going to see a lot of surprises in terms of cuts in the coming weeks. I think you're going to see surprises in terms of trades, just because so many teams are feeling the crunch right now uh, from a salary cap perspective, they're going to have to do some things that they, they normally wouldn't. And with some teams making uh, trades increasingly involving what a lot of people would perceive as negative assets, whether it's Jared Goff and his contract, Carson Wentz, this contract, go back to last year, David Johnson being in that deal for DeAndre Hopkins. Teams are going to continue to push it. Guys who might've just been outright cut in recent years, teams might go, we can't afford to take on, you know, to eat that guaranteed money. Can we find some kind of a way uh, to make these deals happen? I think, you know, even though right now it's pretty quiet, within the league. And I've talked to a ton of, you know, GMs and front office people and agents the past couple of days. Everybody says that the whole process is a little bit behind right now because people are still waiting for the final cap number. There is no combine. Uh, you know, everybody's kind of gearing up for pro days. Everything's like on a little bit of a delay, but the next two weeks get ready for fireworks. Yeah. And obviously uh, Tom, St. Patrick's Day is in two weeks as well. So we're very excited for free agency week starting then. Look, you've been very generous with your time. We, 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 we want to thank you on behalf of all fans in Ireland, the UK and Europe for the time you've taken up because I know you've been very busy both in the season and, and the off-season. We, we, we want to wish you the very best for the off-season as well. And hopefully we'll chat to you soon, Tom. Thank you. March 14th, Sunday, free agency frenzy starts on NFL Network. It's like 800 hours of coverage consecutively. It's going to be fantastic. Thank you very much uh, for having me on. We'll do it again.